So Luke 23 is actually going to be our passage this morning, and a very familiar passage. Uh, it's the, the crucifixion uh, for, for Luke, uh, or at least for Jesus in Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke 23, verses uh, 26 through 49. So if you, have, if you want to grab Bibles, you can do that. Turn to page 884, or you can follow along uh, on the screen. And as they led him astray, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were, laid away, uh, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they, were, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who, who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. I'm going to need a minute for all that reading. He did that in one yeah, breath. exactly right. Yeah, so let, let, let's actually pray. Oh, God, as we, uh, as we move in a spirit of worship into where we want to engage the Scripture lesson of God, uh, we pray for your Spirit to guide us and direct us. Uh, what we are always after whenever we read a Scripture, whether it be in study or in worship, is we're after an applied sense of knowledge to so where it, it affects our life. And, and what you're able to do with lever, leveraging the Scripture passage in such a way that brings about a changed nature inside of us, and that's what we pray for, oh God. And so in these moments that remain in this service, we want to be open to that. Uh, we want to yield to that. Uh, and we pray for this now in the name of Christ. Amen. So what you might or might not know is that for the last 10 years, on it's not every Monday, but it's uh, pretty close to every Monday, John and I meet uh, for breakfast. And one of the things that we do, it, it's uh, we will evaluate the day before, maybe the worship services or things that were going on in the church. We also strategize maybe about the week to come or, or in the, the months to come of what some of the ministries or some of the things that's 
going on. Sometimes just catching up with what's, the, you know, what's going on in, in just people's lives. Sometimes we pray uh, over, over breakfast. Um, Usually it's me telling him how horribly he preached the day before. Listen, there's a long... <laughs> you know good friends are for, right? There's a long line of folks. So, you know, you're, you're the last one, all right? So normally yeah. it's Sunday at noon, right? Uh, but we do, uh, what I've discovered also, too, over these last 10 years, and this, this didn't, it didn't start this way, as in we, we didn't plan on it, but so much of our conversation uh, is about our lives and about our families and our children, um, and much has changed in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, if you can imagine that, it, um, uh, change in our church, change inside of us, uh, change uh, as a parent. Um, I mean, what have you learned about you know, about your family, about yourselves over these last 10 years. Yeah, you know, it's, um, as I think about John and Anna, and Katie was born while we were here, um, John and Anna, um, 13 years ago, they were a handful, <laughs> you know? We, they were, they would uh, bicker and they would fight with each other. And, you know, Lisa and I did all we could just to, hey, listen, we just want you to be uh, normal in public, okay? And then while you're at home, let's just put you in the closet and let you fight, you know, amongst yourselves. But we, we've seen over the years how um, people have invested into their lives and, and how God has, has changed them and us. Um, and now having a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and an 8-year-old, um, we see a little bit of the spectrum of what we went through when John and Anna were Katie's age and what we're going through now with her and, and our prayers of just not knowing what, was, what is going to be at stake or what's going to happen in their lives. As parents, we, um, we try to um, uh, instill within them that um, sort of the things that they do around the house, we call chores or something like that, they do because they have to. <laughs> it's part of being part, it's, it's, it's about being a part of a family. And, um, and we really didn't care if at the beginning they wanted to. You know, Katie doesn't want to. Now John and Anna, they invest back into the family. You know, we used to call it, Lisa and I would say, this is team few, okay? You make your bed, you empty the dishwasher, you help out around the house because it makes everybody else feel better or actually helps them get through the day. And, um, and so we would uh, instill in them, this is something that you have to do. Right? This is something you have to do. Now, what we didn't know, or we were at least hoping would happen, is that they would transition, that it would be something that they would want to do. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one. I, you know, I, I'm kind of shocked that uh, a preacher's kids actually fight. No. So, I mean, I'm going to have to call the bishop <laughs> on that one. Um, Can you imagine Anna is marrying a preacher kid? I know what, I tell you what, that's like, uh, <laughs> you know, two that's a whole different sermon. Oh, that is. Yeah, so. But, I, you know, it's the same thing in our house. I mean, some of the things that I've noticed just in, because Connor and Caroline are the same age as uh, John and Anna. Uh, actually, separated by a few months. Um, Anna, the same age as, uh, I mean, Caroline, same age as Anna, and Connor, same age as, as uh, little Fuey. And uh, I've, I've noticed the same observations in our own household is that, uh, you know, when, we, when they were, say, 10, year, 10 years ago, when they were 10 and 12, um, so much of what was going on was that have to. And, um, and one of the things I'm, I'm delighted is to seeing that maturity in them, that change where, where it goes from have to to want to. 
And, uh, you know, Caroline was home this past weekend on fall break. And, and, uh, and one of the things that I was so delighted to see is that uh, in, in the three or four days that she was home, how much she and Connor spent the, the time they spent together, whether it be eating breakfast with each other, lunch with each other, um, even coming over to eat dinner with, with mom and dad. And uh, I think it was uh, maybe Sunday night, uh, just sitting back after we ate dinner and just watching them sort of interact. And instead of it being like this, you know, it was actually, uh, it was very, I mean, it was beautiful for, from my perspective to watch and, and to behold. And, uh, you know, just that, that level of change over those last 10 years from something to go from, have to to want to. And uh, well, I'll tell you what this has really revealed to me is, is that, and you and I talked about mm-hmm. this, is that, you know, it's, at the beginning, we really didn't care if they wanted to make their bed. Right. Now, they're at a point that they actually don't mind doing. They, they don't mind doing this to help the family. You can see that attitude change. Oh, yeah. Well, and Connor's not an early riser, but the day that Caroline was leaving to go back, uh, um, and he got up Odark 30 to go eat breakfast with her before she headed back to Nashville. So there is a sense of that where whether it be in being with each other or whether it being participating in the family in, in various ways, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that what the undercurrent behind all or under all of this is whether we talk about parenting at when they're 10 and 12 or whether it be at 20, 22, 23 and, and 20 is this underlying love. And, uh, you know, the role of the parent, um, at least what we've tried to do, and I know that you and Lisa have tried to do the same thing, is that regardless of what stage in life that they're in, it's, uh, it's, it's that they understand that there's this deep love that is uh, a part, you know, that we want to invest in them, a part of their life. It's been my experience when it comes to parenting very early on. I mean, to some degree, you're doing this now with Katie, but... Back in, 10 years ago, you know, very hands-on and, and maybe trying to teach them some of the have-tos, the things that they have to learn. And, and, but now it's sort of a hands-off. And, and parenting to me is about taking the hand off little by little so that the, as they grow, they grow in autonomy, they grow in, in freedom. Um, but that constant un, undying love of a parent for a child, that force, that you know, sort of the energy that sits under it all. And, and to some degree, I think we could make a case that that's part of Luke's gospel, at least when it comes to God's love. I mean, where, where have you seen in Luke's gospel this idea of, of a parent's love for a child, seen through God's eyes? Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you see these examples of people, men and women, who um, are recipients of God's compassion, recipients of God's love, and they react in such a way that you expect God to do even more for them. I mean, think of uh, Zacchaeus when he wanted to see Jesus. He climbs up the tree and he uh, is uh, confronted by Jesus. Jesus says, come on down. I'm going to eat in your house today. Salvation has come to this house. And he gives back um, you know, pays back fourfold what he had stolen and gives back all that, uh, is, that has, he had taken from other fe- folks. And in those instances, like Zacchaeus or the widow's might, uh, or the ones who gives out of her poverty, you'd expect God to do this 
shower them with his love. You would expect God to be in their presence. Yeah, because they're doing what they're doing what is right. They're, they're doing yeah, what is doing right. They're good. responding. Yeah. And you know, you when kids you expect, okay, if you do this, I'm gonna let you go over to your friend's house or do that what you want to do or whatnot. Sure. I mean, when they're doing what is right, but it's those moments that are not they're not doing what is right. And yet God still loves them. Yeah, which is a bit of a scandal if you think about it, the way that God loves and, the, and the, 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 his level of grace. Because you, you mentioned Zacchaeus, you mentioned the, the widow's offering, uh, was that Luke 19, uh, Luke 21, and then, and then the 10 lepers. You've got yep. one that comes back and returns and with gratitude again. And there are other examples all throughout the Gospel of Luke where you've got these people who they, they respond appropriately. And in, in that response... You know, you would think that it's just fitting that God would love them because they're good, right? But what about those who aren't good and yet they still receive? Uh, which is really the story this morning when you think about the passage that I read. And there are examples of people that you don't think should receive love or receive grace, and yet they do. I mean, what, what, what's one of the examples in our text where this happens? Well, the criminal that's hung next to Jesus um, um, yeah, the idea. He, he, well, yeah, Jesus says, uh, he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I'd say to you, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, stop for a second. If you are Peter, or if you are Matthew, or if you are Bartholomew, or you are one who has been with Jesus for three years, you look at this response that Jesus gives, and you would say, oh my goodness, is that fair? Is that fair that Jesus would say to you, um, today you'll be with me in paradise? I mean, as a minister, I would probably think of, okay, really, what are your motives? And do, do, do you, have you really fleshed out criminal to Jesus left? Have you really cr uh, fleshed out what your motives are? Jesus doesn't even ask what his motives are. Just, just says, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, it is. It is. Um, it is a scandal. It's. It's. It's almost offensive in a way that. Wait a minute. This. This person has lived a life that has been contrary, Jesus, to everything you have preached about, taught about, and at the last moment he sees this self-preservation, if you will, like the other criminal who wanted Jesus to save them down from the cross. He almost feels this self-preservation of Jesus saying, "Hey, um, I know my uh, fate is sealed, and here I am about to die." Is it, you know. <laughs> If what you were saying is true, I'm going to bank on it and say, okay, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. It is very uh, offensive in that way of, of saying, okay, wait a minute. There's no chance for a response here from this person. Is he going to do the right thing? There's no, there's no, I mean, it reminds me of, of Rahab, the prostitute. It reminds me of Jonah, who goes the other way. I mean, any one of us writing the story of, of, um, of the gospel message would have written Rahab or written Jonah out. Because we like to focus on the giants of the faith, the Abrahams, the Moseses. Mosai? Moses? <laughs> the Moseses, the Davids, that the, Old Jer Testament guy. Yeah, the Jeremiahs. Yeah. We want to we celebrate the Peters and the Pauls of, of Scripture. 
And we do this, if I'm honest with myself, I do this because inside I know that I can never attain that. And it's always easy to keep an arm's length away from that. Oh, I'll never be that good. I'll never do that. But the scripture also has these people like the criminal who, no matter what his motives were at that moment, reaches out. And receives. And receives. You know, which is really the heart of the gospel. One of the things that is so difficult for us to, if I had to guess, to to fully comprehend and, and even own is that God does it, and he doesn't need us to even help. I mean, Jesus, nothing on the cross, I mean, nothing in the passage was about Jesus saying, uh, come and help me, do this, be with me. It's just straight up what God does. And grace is something that God gives uh, independent of each one of us. Um, but his love has included us, has, has, has opened up the door for us to just simply receive. And when we receive, we become like a child that goes from have to to want to. You know, one of the things that I always pray when I even prayed it before we began this sermon is that, there, that we want to change nature. And there's something about the role of the Spirit where God's Spirit uh, weaves in with our spirit, and what it does is it creates a change so that our nature becomes more like the nature of Christ. And, and we go like a, from a 10-year-old that has to do these things to, to maybe someone who's now 10 years later that says, no, I want to do those things. But what's interesting and what I think is beautiful about God is that God doesn't need us. God just includes us, which is what grace really is. And so when we think about application, every time whenever we, uh, when we preach or when we read a scripture lesson, we want to talk about the passage. But what we really want is where, how can the passage become something for us? Where is it applied to our life? And, and I think it's here. Can you receive this grace this morning? Independent of anything that you do, Jesus has done it on the cross. And can you welcome and receive and and then allow that grace to move inside of you so that it creates a changed nature? And so that it doesn't, it's not dependent upon our motives or, or if we've got everything lined up or if we're that good person that, that, that's either in the Bible or these heroes of the faith. Can we just come with open hands to receive God's love and your mercy? Can you allow it to work inside of you so that what's created is the nature of Christ? So that when you leave here, you're changed. Even if it is to the smallest of degrees. This passage is really offensive if you think about it. Here Jesus is on a cross and multiple times, independent of what a person does, God forgives. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise are just two of the examples. So for us, can we receive that same grace? Maybe that's the question this morning. Oh God, as we move... uh, to be open, to receive, to, to be vulnerable. There's something about us, maybe it's our own pride, maybe it's our own self-will that wants to keep this at arm's length. And yet there's something about the grace that is penetrating, that, uh, 
that breaks down whatever barriers or walls that we put up. And what this grace wants to do, it's this undying love, the same undying love of a parent for a child, so that little by little we grow, we change. Part of what we want is not just a faith, but we want a, a, a maturation of faith, which means we rely on your spirit to work within us so that we grow. One of the things that we trust, Lord, is that you would meet us right where we are this morning. For some, it might be for the very first time, a willingness to say yes to this grace. Maybe it's something that we've heard about from day one. We've been around the church a number of years, and we've heard sermons and scripture lessons, but to never really fully own it, to say, yes, Lord, this is what I want. For that person, oh God, May we receive that grace. And then for others, it's something that we've held and, and believed, and, and yet what we desire, God, is for it to be, uh, to have its way fully into all aspects of our life, how we see ourselves, how we see another person. And that grace would be used, leveraged by your Spirit so that what's created is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified in us. Whatever it may be, God, what we do in this moment of transparency, authenticity, we want to be fully present to you. And we pray this now in your name. Amen.